We've been in a series called uh, Grow. I'm going to kind of put a, a bow on that series today. And I'm going to close by offering you an opportunity to come to the altar. And um, I want to lay hands on as many as I can and ask Renee to join me and pray over you as we close this subject and move on. I hope that we have inspired you and helped you to launch a great year of personal growth and development, and we'll continue to encourage you along the way. And so today, let's uh, do somewhat of a summary or recap, and I want to then uh, have some, some special time for you and I to pray together. Let's look first of all at 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 7 through 8. God is speaking um, concerning King David. He said, now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of, he of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture, and I selected you to be the leader of all my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. Can you say amen? And so God found David tending sheep in the pasture. And he took him on a journey where he would become the very king of the nation. And then ultimately become the most famous man that had ever lived. You know, if you had visited Howard and Eva Clark in the early 60s at 1210 Russell Avenue in Port Natchez, Texas, you would have met their three children, Joy and Faith and me. Um, I remember being a quiet, reserved kid, uh, seriously lacking self-esteem and self-confidence. I was good at a lot of things, but never real good at anything. I guess average was probably written over my self-concept. I was insecure socially, was not comfortable in real social settings, and didn't speak well with people that I didn't know, and uh, was quiet and seldom spoke up unless I had a question, which I always had lots of questions. And uh, when I got to high school, it really wasn't any different. I knew a lot of kids and was a part of the high school, but not to a great degree. I was never anything like the most popular or um, any of those kind of things. Uh, more last to myself and more quiet and reserved than um, you might imagine knowing me today. After high school, I met Renee. She was the virtual opposite. She still is the virtual opposite. <laughs> She was the classic social butterfly, and I noticed that about her immediately. The more people, the better. And the more attention you gave her, the more she shines. And so uh, I saw in her the, what I seriously lacked, the self-confidence, the poise, the comfort of being with people, talking to people in social environments and social settings. And I, I'm sure that's why I fell in love with her and wanted to spend my life with her because I saw something in her that I didn't seem to have inside myself. And so about that time of life, I began in ministry, and the Lord began to open up days, opportunities for me to speak here and there, um, nursing homes and youth meetings and children's meetings and then church services. And I distinctly remember being 
terrified, absolutely terrified. Um, my mind would go blank. I would spend hours and hours preparing what to say and then get there and it would just be like blank. <laughs> and um, being extremely nervous was just part of it. I had two redeeming qualities. I wanted it really bad. And I was very willing to pay any price it took to get it. And if I have had any two redeeming qualities in my life, it would still be that. I just want to serve God with every fiber of my being, and I'm willing to do anything to position myself so that He might have a job for me to do. It was those things that helped me to overcome my fear, my timidity, and my basic lack of security. You fast forward 40 years, and um, I'm seldom nervous. I'm rarely afraid, socially very adapted and comfortable. I speak with the rich and the famous, government leaders from presidents to senators to congressmen, people that are extremely wealthy, people that are well-known, movie stars. I, I rarely ever feel uncomfortable. It's always an exciting thing, but I'm never nervous, I'm never uncomfortable, and I rarely ever run out of words in those kinds of situations. And so where I started and where I am today as a grown man is quite different. How did I get there? How did I overcome those barriers? How did I, I deal with timidity and fear and lack of self-confidence and feeling that I was inadequate for the job at hand? Simply grew. I grew to where I am today. I, I, I didn't get here one day. I didn't read one book and suddenly fix it all. There was not some great event in my life that transformed my, my self-concept. But just gradually over time, applying myself I became a confident person, secure in who I am, confident in what I'm called to do, and I arrived here over a long period of time of just applying myself to grow. I'm convinced that you can grow to become just about anything you want. When I looked around at other young ministers trying to get into the uh, ministry, I noticed how many of them had natural abilities that I didn't seem to have. They had natural instincts and just could make things happen, and, and those things just didn't come out of me like that. And I realized that if I was going to make it, I was going to have to work hard, and I was going to have to add a lot of skill. You know, if you have a lot of natural ability and a lot of natural instinct, things come more easily. But when you realize that there's areas of your life that just doesn't come naturally and it's not instinctive and you have to work harder in those areas because you have to add a great deal more skill. At the end of the day, skill will take you further than natural talent and ability. And the people that make the Hall of Fame are those that have natural ability but yet have spent thousands and thousands of hours adding a skill to their natural ability. So wherever you are in life and wherever you feel like your starting point is, remember you have to add skill to it if you're going to get to where you want to be in life. That means you simply have to grow. You know, God took me on a journey. He chose me as a young boy, revealed to me what my destiny or my destination would be, but it has been a journey, a long journey. The same kind of journey that God took David on. 
God chose David when he was just a very young teenage boy. The Bible called him ruddy, some, some reddish in complexion, uh, handsome in his youthful figure, features. But God chose him and began to nurture him and take him to the place that he was ordained to be. Again, David was on a journey with God. He didn't get there suddenly. He started in the lowest place he could start, but somehow ended at the highest place of any man of his day and generation, because God took him on a journey. From the sheepfold, he took him to be a soldier. There's a great learning curve between being a shepherd of a handful of sheep and a soldier in the army. And while he served in the army, he would become a general in the army, and he would marshal great armies and win great battles for the king. So he went from a mere shepherd boy to a, an effective soldier, a general in the army of Saul. Afterwards, over a period of time, he would become not just a general, but he would become the king of the whole nation. And he would be a nation builder, stand up the economy, stand up the military, and become a respected nation and a, and a government leader among the nations of the world during his day. It was a journey he was on, and, and he grew into each one of these positions. From the beginning, God saw where he was going to take him, but where he started was going to take a long journey to get there. David was faithful in each of these learning curves. Not only would he be king, but he would be a psalmist and a prophet. He would design musical instruments and he would write songs that the congregation would sing to the Lord. And he would instruct choirs and order the house of God and the worship in the house of God. And he would deliver prophecies that would pertain to the Messiah himself. And so this young shepherd boy went on a journey with God. He, he made many learning curves, but he arrived to the place that God had ordained for him to be. You know, my destiny is not a given. Your destiny is not a given. It's a journey. It's an opportunity. I often say that the will of God is not a guarantee. It's an opportunity. In other words, what God has for you and what God has for me is what could happen. It's what God wants to happen. It's what God wants to put His energy and strength and power behind. But the choices you and I make from day to day can either lower that destiny or completely erase it. I believe that there will be people that will finish their life having virtually missed the mark and, and missed their destination because of the personal choices they made. So my destiny and yours is, is an opportunity. It's something that, that God says, this is what you can do. This is what you can be. This is what I have for you. But if you make the wrong choices, it'll never come to pass. David made some wrong choices. You remember them well. Committed adultery, committed murder, lied to cover it all up. That's about as bad as I suppose you could get. But he humbled his heart before God. God forgave him, restored him, and preserved his destiny. So our destinies are not necessarily dependent on us always doing the right thing. It isn't lost because we fail or sin or, or take a wrong road. If we'll humble our heart, he'll put us back on the road. So I'm not suggesting that our destiny is delicate. And it's a tiny spot 
And you're not likely to hit it if you make the simplest mistake. I'm saying you serve a merciful God and He already has taken an account that we are human and we are prone to sin and we do make mistakes. And He will preserve our destinies for us. But David showed us what to do when you make a big mistake. You humble your heart before God. You ask Him to forgive you. You get back on the right road and you do the right things. And God said, I'll take you there. It may not be the same road we would have taken, but I'll get you there. It's just a little different road than I would have chosen. Can you say amen? amen? So let me encourage you to ask yourself this question today. Where is God taking you? If He took David from the pasture with the sheep, Where is God taking you? You too are on a journey. God is taking you somewhere. And if you're going to make the journey, you're going to have to climb the mountain of growth, the mountain of personal development. You've got to take authority in your life and say, if I'm going to get there, I'm going to have to change, I'm going to have to grow, I can't stay like I am and arrive at my destiny. <clears throat> no one arrives at their, per- their destiny without personal sacrifice and without personal growth. It's impossible. Laziness is the main reason people do not grow, especially here in America when we have so many growing opportunities. Uh, there's, there's no excuse for not growing. And some people just don't grow because they're lazy. That's no other way to say it. Other people don't grow because they're stupid. Now, Stupid is a reality, and and the reality is they keep doing the wrong things over and over again, and they never learn, stop hitting yourself with a hammer. They just keep doing the same things over and over again. That's what stupid is. You never learn. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does some stupid stuff, but we don't keep on doing it, right? So there really is no excuse for not growing and maturing. And learning in God. I'm personally committed to, pers- to growing and, uh, and to encouraging you and others around me to grow. I really work hard to try to create an environment of growth. My view of this church is that we have to be fertile soil. When you plant your, your church, your family here, you plant in terms of church membership and you commit to be a part of this church from week to week, it's like planting a, a, putting a plant in soil. If the soil is good, the plant is likely to thrive. But if the soil is not good, the plant is likely to struggle. And our goal is to be the kind of soil that will challenge you to grow and be an environment where it's easy for you to grow. You know, one of the greatest compliments I've ever been paid in my life in ministry has been something like this. Pastor, I believe I've grown more in the last six months than I have previous years of my life. That's like the ultimate compliment for this church. Because we understand that your environment has a lot to do with growth. As the father of your house, you have to create soil in your home where you, your wife, your children are growing and maturing together. We're all farmers. We're all growing something. I mean, we're growing a lot of things in life. We're all farmers. And we have to know the principles of farming uh, 
so you can grow whatever you're growing. You're growing a marriage. You're growing some kids. You're growing a career. You're growing your retirement. You're growing a business. Everybody's growing something. So we have to be good farmers. And, and everybody knows that the soil has a great deal to do with the quality of the plant and the size of the harvest. And the environment you and I create in our churches, in our homes, in our businesses is the soil that these plants, whatever we're growing, is going to grow out of. We have to have an environment that is conducive to growth, challenges to growth, gives people opportunities to grow, has the right in nutrients and ingredients that inspires growth in other people. God help us to create a culture of growth. And to be the rich soil from which a life can really grow and expand and um, be all that they can be. You know, my success as a pastor is directly connected to your success and in your walk with God. Directly connected. I know this because the Apostle Paul said so in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 15. He said, we hope that your faith will grow so that the boundaries of our work among you will be extended. So he said, our prayer is that your faith will grow so that our boundaries, the scope of our ministry, can continue to enlarge. And so the only way that, that I can reach some of my goals is to help you reach your goals. And the only way that I can see our ministry grow is to help you grow. Because as you grow, the whole thing grows. And so what I'm talking about is at the core of what church is all about and what my life is all about. I'm hoping to inspire you in several areas of your life to grow. I've talked to you about your walk with God, your walk with God. You, you never graduate, you never complete the course in your walk with God. You, you, it's something you, you just continue increasing in. It's not like you arrive. The second you stop growing, is the second you start moving backwards and carnality takes over and, and things start happening in a negative way. There's something about God that he, he, we're following Him. We're always in pursuit. We're always reaching for Him. We are seeking Him and that's just a part of our walk with God. So we don't ever graduate or get there and say, oh, I got it now. No, we're always reaching for Him. So I'm challenging you to grow in your walk with God. I'm challenging you to grow in your marriage. Thank God the, the ladies are far more relational than men. And usually it's our wives that are pushing the relationship thing. Uh, they want, they're, they're concerned about our marriage relationship. They're concerned about how many friends we have and spending time with people in the relationship with the children and the extended family because God wired our wonderful wives to be very relational. And men are not quite that strong. We have some other things God put in us, but, but it's not quite that strong. And I know that sometimes the ladies feel like they're having to drag we men and drag us and drag us and uh, that we, we, we have to work a little harder at being relational. And, and it just seems to be the truth about we men. So I want to encourage you men to take the leadership in growing in your marriage relationship. Take the leadership in moving it forward. Uh, relationships tend to die and get stagnant when there's no change and progress. And when you just keep having the same problems over and over again. I'm convinced that the difference in a good marriage and a bad marriage may be just a few bad habits. 
And if those bad habits were replaced with some little better habits, that marriage would get immediately better. Most of the marriage that I see end do not end for a lack of love. They end for, a, for bad attitudes and bad habits. And so uh, God help us to just improve. I want to challenge you men to um, replace one poor habit with one better habit as it directly applies to your marriage. And, and say to your wife, I want us to grow in our relationship. And I want our marriage to be better, not worse. I want to encourage the men in that way. I certainly want to encourage you as a family to grow in your family. And um, put time and effort there. Grow in your personal culture. One of my favorite subjects is talking about personal culture because um, it's your being, it's your, it's your identity, it's your whole self, it's everything about you. And uh, I can't control the world and what other people do, and there's so many uncontrollable factors, but I can control my personal culture, who I am and what I do and what I don't do, my, my mind, my heart, my vocabulary, what I do in life. Take charge of your personal culture and uh, grow in that area as well. And then, of course, your career. Um, never satisfy with where you are, but just keep believing that, that there's other things out there that God has more for you that He wants you to do, and grow your career as well, whatever you are pursuing in life. Um, and so uh, that's what we've been doing, and I hope that you've been challenged uh, in those areas as well. In a few minutes, I'm going to pray with you about those. Uh, so just stay here with me, and I'll give you a couple of more thoughts to uh, send you home with, and then we'll begin some altar ministry. Um, <clears throat> probably by now you've narrowed down the area you want to focus on. If you've been listening to this at all, you've probably got a word, and, and, and word it, that word is uh, kind of helping bring in focus to your growth. Uh, marriages have found a word. Businesses have found a word. Individuals have a word. And, and it, it helps to bring focus and um, put your energies in one direction and move you forward. Uh, you know, if you're still saying, you know, I don't know what area of growth I, I need to focus on, listen to those around you. Usually those around you will point out the areas you need growth. You'll recognize it because it has a sting to it. <laughs> You'll recognize it by the resentment that rises up within you when they make those comments. You'll know that's what Pastor was talking about. Um, our wives have a gift. <laughs> uh, it's one of the spiritual gifts of the New Testament. And they know exactly what we, what we need to do and how if they would just do this, it would be so much better. And we have to listen to our wives. And wives have to listen to their husbands. And parents have to listen to their children. And children have to listen to their parents. And pastors have to listen to the congregation. And the congregation has to listen to the pastor. And the, the boss has to listen to the employees. The employees have to listen to the boss. Because, you know, if you just close out your mind to all these people, you're never going to get anywhere. Because people will tell you, if you listen close enough, they'll tell you the areas that you probably need to grow on. So I want to encourage you to listen. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes the right environment. It takes a plan. It's not going to happen automatically. It takes a plan. And it takes a commitment to that plan. So as we come to the close of the series, I'm wondering how many of you have created a growth plan for this year? Don't raise your hand. 
Oh, there is no one to raise their hand. <laughs> Shucks. Maybe I'm not doing as good as I thought. <clears throat> okay, just have you got a plan? You know, um, have you got a plan? Have you got it narrowed down and are you moving in and have you made a commitment to it? It's February now and all the New Year's resolutions have long since been forgotten. That's over with. It comes down to those that have a plan and are committed to it. Can you say amen? amen. <clears throat> growth plans need to be prayer birthed. Pray about your growth plan. It needs to involve education. We have so much information at our fingertips today. There's no excuse for being ignorant on any subject you need to know about because it's all right there. So it needs to be education. We change when we heard enough, we want to change. And when we learn enough, we know how to change. And so it's so important that we, we have education, we learn. Accountability is important. Um, you know, getting someone that you discuss it with and you confess, this is what I'm going to do and this is the areas that I'm working on. I want you to work with me through this. You need somebody that you can bounce it off of and someone that can hold you accountable. In some cases, that's a wife or a husband, a father or a mother, a boss, a best friend, a pastor or an elder or a, or a life team leader, um, whomever it is. You need someone to hold you accountable and to talk about it and walk your way through it. You need some real measurable goals with some time triggers on them. Um, you know, you can't just say one day, someday I'm going to get there. But you, you really got to push yourself and say, I want to do this by this date and by that date I want to do, have done that. And there needs to be some goals that are time sensitive. Um, and I want to tell you again that the core of growth is changing your personal culture. It's not changing people around you. It's not changing the world. It's being able to change yourself. And um, just if you can't change yourself, how can you be an influence on others? You have to be able to, to strengthen yourself and say, I'm going to change this about myself. I'm going to change this about what I do and how I live my life. And there's something about the ability to change yourself and stop doing what you may have been doing a long time ago that inspires everybody around you to likewise make some changes. Now, um, <clears throat> some of the suggestions is uh, create better habits. Just create better habits. Our life is the sum total of all of our little habits. And you don't have to make huge, big habits, but just change little habits. And if you change several little habits, it'll make a really big difference in your life. And um, if you don't have the muscle to change a tiny, small habit that may be spiritually insignificant, but it's a small habit you want to change, you certainly are not going to have the muscle it takes to change big habits that really have a detriment in your life. And, and so start with small things, and the muscle you build by creating better habits in small ways is the same muscle you'll need when you need to attack something that has a real significance and importance in your life. You know, you know sometimes you need to ask yourself the question, when is the last time I changed, I created a, a new habit in my life? When is the last time I created a new habit in my life? Something that I, I wasn't doing, now I am doing. Something I was doing, I stopped that. I'm not doing that anymore. I've replaced it with a better habit. When is the last time you created a new habit in your life? And, and if, it's, if it's been too long, it's probably an indication of a lack of growth and development in your life. 
So I want to encourage you to look in the area of habits. And when you're making those personal changes, that means I'm moving forward, I'm growing, I'm making a difference, and things are happening. I want to encourage you to read through the Bible this year. There's a great reading plan where you read about 15 or 20 minutes every day. Use that as your private devotion. Um, always have a daily devotion. Always have a daily devotion. And one of the ways you can do it is when you hear us teach on the weekend, you make a note of some of the passages in Bible, the Bible we refer to, and then you go back and you study them more in depth and you pray over them. That links you and I together, and, and it, it brings um, a, a lot more fruit to the message when you go back and you study it more in-depthly. So be sure that you've got a private devotion. Don't try to do 30, 45, 50 minutes or an hour. Just start with 15 or 20 minutes if that's where you are. If you're at 15 and 20 minutes, maybe bump it up to 30 or 35. And there will be days when that 25 or 30 minutes will go by fast and you're at 45 and enjoying every minute of it, but now you run out of time and you've got to get on with your life. Then there's other times that you've only got that 20 minutes or 15 minutes. But always set aside that time of devotion for God, and it needs to be a time alone, if at all possible. So make sure you do that. And uh, have a reading goal. Have a reading goal. This is about education, you know, a read. It could be a Christian book about the Bible, about life, about marriage, or it could be something totally secular that could add and contribute something to your life. You know, it's a good thing to read a new book every single month. We watch way too much TV. You know that? We watch way too much TV. Do you know that? Do you know how much we're wasting our brains and, and, and we're wasting time? There's so much good literature out there that we ought to read more and we ought to learn more. Always have a good book. You know, your circle of friends should always be passing books around. Now, pastors, we, we, all, we have to read, and so we read a lot. And uh, all my friends and all the people close to me were constantly sharing books. Hey, did you read that book? No, but I'm reading one now. I'd like for you to read. And we're always sending each other books because we know that to do our jobs, it's imperative that we absorb a lot of material and fresh material. We're constantly learning. We all have libraries and we, all, we, all are, we have to be into books. Well, you're not a pastor, but you still need to learn. And, and you know, if you could just say, you know, every month this year, I'm going to read a book. And, and one month, my wife and I, we're going to read one on marriage. And the next month, we're going to read about investing and being good stewards of our money. And the next month, we're going to read about health. And we're going to talk about how we can be more healthy in our bodies. And, and just, just books that will help you uh, become more than you would have otherwise been. They're readily available. They're really cheap. And uh, there's no excuse for not being a good reader. Uh, nurture some good relationships in life. When's the last time you built a new relationship? When you just decided, you know what, I, I want to pull up beside this person and spend some more time with them. I believe that our association is going to make me better and maybe I can make them better. Just a new relationship that can inspire you. Life gets to be a rut when it's the same people, the same small group. But when, you're, when your life is moving and you're, in, you're building new relationships, uh, it's a wonderful thing and it encourages growth in you. Look again at your, at your weekly routine, your weekly routine. What you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. When you go to bed, when you get up, what do you do when you get up? What are you doing? Is your routine healthy? 
Is your routine consistent with what you want in life, the life you want to live, where you want to go in life? Is your routine healthy? Is it a routine that inspires growth and expansion in your life? You know, I just believe that our life consists of the routines that we keep. I can't change the world's routine. I've got to be at a certain place at a certain time because this is happening there and that's happening here. But in between, I have to control our routine of life. These are areas that I would like to encourage you to look at very closely. And value health. Health, you know, uh, health. Just focus on health. Um, Renee and I have a great marriage. We don't have a perfect marriage. We have a healthy marriage. And we don't have a perfect family, but we have a healthy family. And, and uh, we're not all we want to be spiritually, but we're healthy spiritually. And we don't have all the money we hope to have someday, but we're healthy financially. Amen. You get the picture? Um, physically, I've got some challenges, but overall I'm a healthy guy. And I'm trying to get more healthy because I value health. And so if you're looking for absolute perfection and just get everything in a utopian state, good luck with that. But health is a wonderful thing where you can say, you know what, I'm not perfect, but I'm healthy. And it's not exactly right, but I'm healthy. And so I think that health needs to be the bullseye in every area of our life, just looking for that place where you can say, I'm healthy in that area. I'm healthy in that area. It doesn't mean I've reached all my goals. It doesn't mean that everything's right. It just means I'm healthy in that area. So I want to point you at being healthy. I think it will help you. I want to encourage you to get involved in our life teams. There's so many things that, that I'm talking about happens in the context of a life team. For instance, you can build new relationships that can enrich your life and, and, and help you move forward. In the life teams, you can learn about the Bible, about life, about specific areas of your life. In a life team, you can grow spiritually and become healthy in every area of your life. So those life teams will kick off just in a couple of more weeks, and I hope that you'll want to get plugged in with our life team leaders immediately after the service today. So it's time to get started. Pastor's not going to come back up and start talking about this again for a while, but it's time to get started and stick with it. Be prepared for setbacks. Be prepared for distractions. Be prepared to occasionally drift. You know how it is. You make a commitment, I'm going to start doing this and stop doing that. And you do real good for a little while, and then all of a sudden life happens and you start drifting just a little bit. You kind of get out of your pattern and off your routine and you break your habit. And you know, if you stay in that drift too long, you probably won't ever come back. But if you feel yourself drifting and you realize you kind of got out of it and you get back in quick, you're okay. So expect distractions, expect some setbacks, and occasionally you might drift just a little bit. But before you drift too far, get back in line, and you'll still go there. Part of that is just life. Part of that is to test your commitment. So I want to encourage you to get started and stick with it. And if you totally bomb out, if you totally back up and quit, restart and just do it all over again. Don't give up. Just restart. It's okay. Just restart and get going again. You know, my latest study is from one of the world's best communicators, and he is teaching proven techniques of communicating that have changed the world. He is uh, using great orators like Churchill, who changed the world, altered the course of human destiny in World War II. He talks about 
people like Martin Luther King Jr. who changed the course of America and the course of the world with the power of his words. He even talks about Pastor Joel Osteen, what a, an effective communicator he is and how the world is benefiting from his effective communication. And so I'm studying him as if I was just 19 years old again trying to learn how to preach because I am committed to growing and I'm challenged to be better than I have ever been. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I still believe that I can do better and I can be better than I've ever been before and I'm continuing to grow. Someday I hope to silence the voice in my head, the same voice that spoke to me when I was just an inferior little kid saying you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you'll never make it, you don't have what it takes. I just every day studying to silence that voice so that I can just maybe reach the pinnacle of my destiny and the peak of my ability. I'm still growing. There was a day when that voice in my head said, you're too young. It's that same voice, but now it says you're too old. And so you got to silence that voice wherever you are in the span of your life. You have to silence that voice and you have to keep reaching and pulling forward. And see, there's still time for you. I don't know what age you are, but don't give up on yourself and don't give up on life. It seems that growing is the essence of real living. And if you ever stop growing and expanding and maturing, surely you'll no longer be living. So I want to challenge you. Grow, 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 grow. Can you say amen? amen. <clears throat> okay. Renee's going to join me here, and we're going to pray for some people. Uh, I want to lay hands on people this morning. We've got just a few minutes. I, I cut short so I would have plenty of time if I need it. And um, I want you all to stay with me as long as you can. And if you need to go, it'll be quite all right. But Renee and I want to pray over you. You know, one of the foundational um, um, elementary doctrines of the New Testament is the laying on of hands. It's listed in the most basic doctrines of the New Testament church. And so um, we believe that the laying on of hands imparts something to people. And that's why we have altar invitations and other things. And I want to lay hands on you today and impart into you a desire to grow and become all that you can be with God. To move your life forward. If you feel like you're stuck, I'm going to lay my hands on you and ask God to explode you out of that situation get your life moving forward again and I, I believe that the, the anointing that he has given us to share this word over the last few weeks is going to be imparted to you through the laying on of hands that will give you the grace to grow one more biblical illustration Paul started out persecuting Christians he had an epiphany radical paradigm shift when Jesus appeared to him and he realized he was on the wrong team and he went away for many years studying the scripture praying and preparing himself to become what we know today as the Apostle Paul and later on in life he would go back and recap his journey and he would say except for the grace of God I would not be what I am today and we're all depending on the grace of God 
And so what we're going to pray over you today is for an importation of God's grace. An importation of God's grace. Grace for whatever you need. Grace for whatever you're facing. Grace for wherever you want to go in your journey with God. We want to ask God to give you a grace.